0: But I have the tremendous privilege of kicking off for you a study in the book of Jonah. Uh, For the next few weeks, uh, you'll be going through this book. And I pray that you will experience it with new eyes. The Lord in his grace allowed me to see things that I had not even seen before, looking at this book. So my prayer is that as you engage this study, that the Lord would give you new eyes to see the text. He would give you a soft, receptive heart that you may receive this with joy. This is not just a kid's story, but that you will be motivated as the wonderful character of God is revealed through this study. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 16. And if you would please stand in honor of reading of God's word, I have a habit uh, at Forest to say a couple of things before I read. But we'll we'll go before and after. I just want to remind everyone that this is the word of God and to hear the voice of Christ. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with, go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know of whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish with this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased. From its raging, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'd just like to tag this text for us this morning, "Rescue by the relentless grace of God. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word and the privilege to have your word, to be recipients of your word, dear God, knowing that it is only by your word and through your word that life comes. So, Father, I ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May this text be fresh to us. Even as we come with our preconceived notions, may you blow up all of our expectations of you, just as you did to Jonah. So, Father, please speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this book of Jonah is one of the most well-known books in the Bible. Uh, this story is right up there, Adam and Eve. Uh, you have David and Goliath, uh, Noah's Ark. But when you think about the story of Jonah, I bet the first thing that comes into your mind, if I said, Jonah, you'd be like, a whale. And it's like this animated whale, and he got a blow spout, and he's smiling too. See? And when we think about Jonah, we have that tendency of of animating this story so that we don't take it as serious as we probably should. And, you know, that's all of us. And for that very reason, skeptics will say a story like this is too miraculous. There's no way a person can live in a whale's stomach for three days. And they will point to, Various other arguments to say that this cannot be a factual historical account. I mean, I say I would like to see these skeptics and ask them, well, have you ever met a Christian before? Because we believe some stuff that's crazier than this. (laughs) We believe a dead man got up and he has all authority and power. Oh, see, I was about to shout. Let me (laughs) chill out. See, but I, I choose not to Debate skeptics with intellect, but I choose to believe in the historicity of Jonah because Jesus did. And in Matthew the 12th chapter, verses 38 through 41, Jesus is having a conversation with the religious folks, and he is speaking specifically about Jonah. In verse 39, he says, But he answered them: an evil and adulterous generation seeks. And not because he read it from, from, from the, uh, the scribe in a synagogue. It's because he made Jonah. He breathed life into Jonah. And he decreed what Jonah would do. So he, Jesus already knows. So that, that's why we can't believe in this account. But even as it is a well-known book, I believe it's a misunderstood book. And misunderstood because uh, there's a wrong focus on Jonah and this whale, and we can kind of moralize it. Don't be disobedient like Jonah, or God's going to whoop you. You know, it's this, this, this thing. It's more than that. The book of Jonah is about Jonah. But for other reasons you may have not thought about. See, when you look at Jonah... You can almost look into the face of Israel. So Jonah is, is a type of Israel. And as, as Israel is doing life amongst the nations, they're being rebellious to what God wants them to do. They're constantly in sin. They are, are constantly playing with other gods. They don't want to hear from the God. They want to be their own God. So they rebel. They have this ethnic pride. No one's as good as us Jews. We're God's chosen people. If you're not like one of us, then you can't get down with Jesus. See, Jonah represents all that should be rejected by a Jew. They will look at this text and say, that's a prophet of God? How could it be? So when we look at Jonah, we we should look and say, this is not how someone who loves Christ should live. And we should turn the opposite way. But what the book of Jonah really is about, it's about God, the great sovereign over all of creation, whose plans cannot be thwarted by human fragility, God who is exceedingly compassionate and merciful and freely extends his grace toward whom he wishes, because we'll see in this book, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jews reading this book will be confronted with God's compassion and his compassionate reach. He's looking beyond Israel. He's looking to the nations. He's looking to other sinners who need him. And they'll be confronted with their own lack of repentance. Nineveh is is willing to humble themselves, but yet Jonah has his chip on his shoulder. He's stubborn. See, here in the book of Jonah, we see God's relentless pursuit of his people. And as a matter of fact, because God relentlessly pursues his people, your rebellion can never outrun the grace of God. Let's look at the text. There's a number of themes that will be running throughout the book, like mercy and grace. We'll see a whole lot of God's sovereignty and his providence, how he's weaving things together together for his glory and their good, discipline and repentance. But then we also see the mission of God. And here in the first chapter, we have this collision between Jonah and his human expectations and God's sovereign will. This is a contrast between sin and grace. And as we jump into the text this morning, I want you to see how Jonah's rebellion causes him to run away from God's grace. Verses 1 through 3, God comes to his man, Jonah. And we don't know a whole lot about Jonah. Outside of this book, there's a reference to him in 2 Kings, the 14th chapter, where he is a prophet in the time of Jeroboam II. He's a successor of Elijah and Elisha. So he's serving God amongst Israel. He, he's trying to call them to repentance, but there's something different now. Even in the beginning of this, we, 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 can, we can stay here for a minute, because the book of Jonah begins with God's initiation of grace at, at Jonah's call and commission. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. All throughout scripture, we see time and time again that God initiates grace through his word. In creation, God says, let there be. And everything comes into fruition. And he says, and it is good. God speaks to Abraham and says, now you go to this land. And Abraham goes, he speaks to Moses from a burning bush. He, God is speaking to Noah. God is speaking to us. And as God is speaking, he is the initiator of grace. We don't come up to God saying, hmm, I wonder what you got to say, Lord. No, he comes to us and he initiates grace. He takes it upon himself. He doesn't wait for weak and and little sinners to do anything because he's God. And he's good. But Jonah, he doesn't see, he doesn't see this grace coming. Jonah doesn't see the, the grace coming. And the Ninevites, they don't even know they need it. And calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, God not only wants to save the city, but He wants to save Jonah. God is simu- He's simultaneously working to bring about the application of of grace upon the Ninevites' hearts and a deepening of grace in Jonah's own heart. I love how God works. You think God is just dealing with you in that situation? He's dealing with you, the person down the street, the person you got in the car, with. God is, is working all things together. He's glorious. So this story is not just about Jonah. And it's not, this life is not just about us. But God wants to do so much more. So what does he say to Jonah? He says, arise, go, call, arise, go and preach. He wants Jonah to take this message to the Ninevites and and to look here, it's almost as if in in verse two where he says, arise and go, that Jonah's just chilling. He's comfortable. He's with his people. He, uh, He doesn't really have to step over any cultural boundaries or he doesn't have to apologize for his speech. He's just chilling. And God says, get up. I got something for you to do. You too comfortable. You think you got everything together. Let me let me stretch you. How won't God stretch you? Get comfortable in God's grace and he'll begin to stretch you. He began to plug things out because this is not our home. We're just traveling through. Because God wants to do something with our lives. He doesn't want us to be set and still. He wants to make us look like Jesus. He's conforming us to the image of his son. And God says, go to this people, this wicked people. Go to Nineveh because their sin, their evil has come up before me. It's like a stench. You ever smell something real bad? You're walking through like, ooh, what's What's that? have a new baby around the house. Like, that came out of that? It's a stench. In Nineveh, this is one of the principal cities in Assyria, but they're known as the bloody city. They're cruel, inhumane. So in calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, all God is doing is he's, he's continuing to reveal his missionary heart. Mention Abraham in Genesis 12. He's, God is speaking to Abraham in verse 2 and he says, And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? Why am I going to hook you up so that you will be a blessing? I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed see we have a tendency to think blessing is all about material gain or or fame or some type of fortune but blessing is knowing god that's the blessing the privilege of being able to speak the name of God to a lost and dying world. That's the blessing, to know that you can rescue anybody out of any situation or circumstance uh, because the power is not from you, it's from the word. That's the blessing. But along the way, Israel have, they, they've forgotten this missional command from God. And now we have Jonah, uh, uh, Jonah he is... Uh, has a deep hatred for the people in Nineveh. And he says, I ain't doing it. He begins to be a, a distraction, a stumbling block to God meeting this, this wicked people who needs to hear about this message of repentance. So so when God comes to Jonah and it says, go preach to them, Jonah's like, oh, nah. I no. I, God, I know you ain't. Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they've been doing to us? Don't you know how they treat us, abuse us, misuse us? Don't you know how wicked, how, how hateful they are? Don't you know when they catch one of us, they will fillet our skin off our live bodies and leave us in the desert to die? God, don't you know what they're doing to us? And you want me to go there? God, don't you know they are sworn enemies? You know, my father, was born in Jackson, Mississippi in the 40s. So, in trying to just think about, like, what is God actually asking him? Like, man, you know, this, this is like God coming to my daddy and saying, Dan, I want you to go to the other side of town in spite of government sanctioned segregation and oppression. And I want you to walk up in the middle of the Klan rally. And I want you to preach the gospel and tell them how wrong they are, that they need to repent. So not only would Jonah have to deal with his fear, he would have to deal with his hatred. He hates him, his bitterness in his heart. So knowing what God is about to do, I said, no. Nope. And three times we see in the text that Jonah, he has a different plan. He, he wants to go to Tarshish. He goes to Tarshish. Tarshish, this is probably a port city, off the coast of Spain, and in First Corinthians, uh, First Kings is reference how Solomon's fleet takes three days, three years to to complete a, a travel. It's a complete opposite direction. It's it's God is saying, "Go to New York City." He says, "No, nah, I'm going to L.A." And Tarshish is the place that is away from the presence of the Lord. Three times, the text says that Jonah is has made up his mind to go away from the presence of the Lord. Well, wouldn't Jonah know that God is omniscient, omnipresent? Wouldn't a good Jew read this and and, 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 and recall David's Psalm 139, that whether his soul was in Sheol, that God was there, that there's nowhere that that anyone can go away from the presence of the Lord, wouldn't they know? Was well, it's not so much that they don't know, but what the presence of the Lord is saying is, this is a declaration of Jonah's rebellion against God's sovereignty. I'm done being your man. I'm gone. He throws deuces to God, goes, catches the ship. Because he, he Jonah doesn't believe that Nineveh is worth redemption, only condemnation. And Jonah has this, this nice, neat religion where where uh, everything is, is nice and perfect and there's no struggle or strain. And God is saying, I want to move you out of that and show you how ridiculous my grace is. So God is pouring out grace on Nineveh by sending Jonah and pouring out grace upon Jonah by beginning to deal with the sin that's deep within his heart. See, Jonah's hatred, it blinds him to what God wants to do. His hatred blinds him to the depths of of God's grace that God would rescue such an evil, wicked, and destructive people. How could he do such a thing? Ah, He's missing the depths of grace. But he's also blind To the need for grace to be applied to his own heart. You know, God God uses all of life to deal with our sin. This is the situation here. I remember before I got married, I thought I was a godly guy. I wasn't selfish. I was generous. You need something. I got you. Then I got married. I was like, no, everybody's, you post supposed to roll toothpaste up from the bottom. You don't just squeeze it in the middle. <laughs> Everybody knows toilet tissue goes over and not under. What is wrong? <laughs> and from marriage, God, what did he do? He exposed my sinfulness. You're in a situation right now, you don't like it, but God wants to show you what you look like. And he's using the situation as a mirror to reveal the depths of sin within your heart, your depravity, because why? He wants to conform us to the image of Christ. Take it away. If it doesn't look like Jesus, take it away. And he's dealing with Jonah in the same way. He wants to get to those untouched areas of Jonah's heart. He wants to deal with his bigotry, with his hatred. This ethnocentrism, he, he, he wants them to deal with it. And you know, it's, it's when God begins to graciously deal with those sensitive areas of our life that we start to run, don't we? When God starts poking, we start running. When, when God, we, when we receive a word from God and he exposes us, us for the frauds that we really are, what we want to do? We want to run. I don't want nobody to know who I really am, what I really watch, what I really think. Our bodies have this natural tendency to run away from pain. Touch something hot, you want to run away. And God is poking. He's poking at you today. What area of your heart do you need grace to slice away? Before Jonah could receive God's grace, he had to see his need for God's grace. So Jonah's rebellion causes him to run away from God's grace, but then on the other side of that, in the latter half of this chapter, we see that God's grace causes him to rescue Jonah from his rebellion. In verses four through six, we, now we see this relentless grace of God at work in the life of Jonah. So how does God respond to Jonah's disobedience? He responds, he winds up, and the word says, hurl. He just takes a storm out of his back pocket and say, boom. <laughs> what you going to do with that, Jonah. And this is a crazy storm. The the sailors begin to go crazy. But before they even realize what's going on, the ship start talking. The text says, in verse 4, the tempest came on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. The ship like, I can't do this. (laughs) And where's Jonah? He's in the bottom of the ship, sleep. I was wrecking my, I was like, why is he asleep? How could he sleep? But you know what? When you really don't want to deal with something, what's the best thing to do? Go to sleep. Your yeah, children come up to you, I'm hungry. Go to sleep. I want to go play. Oh, i just go to sleep. Don't even worry about it. But why is he asleep? He's down in the darkness hiding but he's not really hiding from God. He's hiding from himself because we know when God begins to deal with us in our sin, it's like, ah, Lord, I don't want to go there. I don't want to relive that, but he forces us to deal with it. And in forcing Jonah to deal with the situation, he uses a pagan captain to speak his very same words. What does the captain say? He goes on and says to Jonah again, arise, call out. Jonah gets up. We see this display of God's omnipotence. He controls the winds and the waves. In Jonah's rebellion, he's run from the safety of of God's protection and provision into the instability of a pagan ship. See the irony? God's prophet is running from the word but the pagans are crying out, looking for a word. The pagans like, help us, God. God, where are you? Jonah's sleep. You know, when, when we run from grace, we lose our identity. Think about it. If, if we were sought by grace, bought by grace, saved by grace, kept by grace, transformed by grace. When we run from grace, who are we? If I'm a grace case, but I'm running away from it, who am I? lost, but yet God uses a storm named grace to stop Jonah in his tracks. And we see in verses 7 through 16 that all throughout this time, God has been displaying his meticulous providence. He controls big things like the seas and the waves, but then he controls small things like dice, lots. Because they cast lots to try to figure out who, who brought this upon us, who, who caused this, and it fell on Jonah, exposing him. By the way, did you realize that your sin affects everybody else? Oh no, we know that other people's sin affects us, but somehow our sin doesn't affect others. Jonah's sin is affecting this whole boat, all these sailors. They begin to ask them questions Who are you? Where are you from? What is going on? And, and Jonah, he, he acknowledges uh, who he is and, and acknowledging who he is, what he believes. He's actually acknowledging God's sovereignty without trying to be missional. Ha! God produces, has produced a witness in Jonah's life that's so thick that even though he don't want to uh, uh, give God props, he gives God's props. So at the beginning, uh, where we see the, the pagan sailors crying out to a god, by the end of the text, we see they crying out to Yahweh. Who are you? I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Though he, though he is rebellious, the sailors they they fall in submissive awe to God. They fear the Lord. What does scripture say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Relentless grace means God is willing to disrupt Jonah's disobedience. Beloved, grace is not always warm and fuzzy. We have this mindset that grace is this beautiful, sweet thing. I'm struggling with the issue. I decided to get up early, go to the coffee shop, get my nice leather-bound Bible, the right, writing utensil. I got my journal. You know I got a mold scheme. Got that journal. <laughs> I'm sitting down, I, I get a latte. They, they do some latte art on that boy. <laughs> the Lord is speaking to me through the, through the word. The light glistens through the window. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I pull out my phone, I take an Instagram chat. <laughs> Devotional time. <laughs> <laughs> we think that's grace. Sometimes grace is gritty and grace is ugly where God will put you flat on your face in order that he would keep you from running and he will pick you up and shake you and say, don't forget about me. Grace, God uses grace to force us to face our sin. So when we look at this book of Jonah, we can't forget or ignore what God wants to do. God actually wants to exchange Jonah's rebellion for grace. And where do we see the greatest demonstration of that? upon Calvary's cross. We're on the cross of Christ for those who repent, who turn from their sin and turn towards Jesus, where our rebellion is exchanged for righteousness. Only at the cross can those who who are wicked and have been running away from God be made whole. So when Jesus takes upon himself the sins of the world, he takes upon himself the sins of all. All who trust him, all who call out to him, who arise and call out to their God, he has grace for you. The book of Jonah is about about Jonah, it's about God. But the book of Jonah is about you. God wants you to face the wickedness and the evil that's in your heart that's causing you to run away. He would throw a storm in there to keep you from running. But he would show himself so faithful that repentance is right there for you. Jonah's rescued. By the relentless grace of God, let us pray.